Hey everyone, this is Elias Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, we're talking about your 11 and 34 Detroit Pistons. This week is Vet Week on the podcast. Ben Gulker and I talk about all the veterans who have propelled this team through the month of January. We talk about if Jeremy Grant's return from injury is a good chance to shake up the starting lineup, and what to do about Killian Hayes' inability to put the ball into the basket. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. What's up, Ben? Hey, Laz. I'm doing pretty good, man. Ready to talk some uh, some Pistons, some interesting stuff this week, some positive stuff to talk about. So uh, I'm ready. How are you doing? I'm doing well. The Pistons are doing surprisingly well. Uh, I believe they're still 500 this month, which is uh, something that I would not have expected at the beginning of any month to start this season. Uh, but they managed to stay 500 with a win over the Sacramento Kings. And we talked about last week how they really needed that win in order to uh, salvage the road trip, which is not yet over. We are recording prior to the game against Denver tonight. Uh, the first game against Denver tonight, they have a home and home, which is a, a weird situation to be in. But uh, the veterans led the way in that win against Sacramento. And so I was like, Hey, it's, it's going to be veterans week. We're going to talk, we're going to talk about all the vets uh, this week. So the first guy I wanted to talk about was Corey Joseph and Corey Joseph uh, in January, he's averaging 12 points, three rebounds and five assists per game. He's shooting 46 uh, or 45% from the floor, 56% from three, which is a crazy number and 84% from the line. Basketball ref reference has his offensive rating in the month of January at 140, which is crazy high. That's like, that is, that is a ridiculous offensive rating to have. Um, and he's playing 28 minutes a night. Ben, I, I gotta say, if you shoot 56% from three, like it's very much easier to watch Corey Joseph play basketball every night. <laughs> it is easier. I agree with that. I, I agree. It's easier. He He's looking like he wants to go be somebody's third guard, wouldn't you say? I would say that, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's perfectly, I mean, look, Corey, I don't love him. He's not my favorite player to watch, but he's perfectly at it. I mean, he's, sol- he's just a solid backup guard. And when he's shooting the lights out the way he is, 140 offense rating, that's off the charts. I mean, that's absurdly good. Um, and hey, good timing, Corey. I'll take it. It's trade deadline's a few weeks away. I, I'm, I'm liking this. Yeah, I we... As we get reports that the Pistons are like interested in other point guards this offseason, it's like Corey Joseph and that $5 million player option. You're kind of staring at the cap sheet like, hmm, wonder what's going to happen with that. And uh, yeah, if you uh, shoot 50, 50 plus percent from three, uh, the odds that you can contribute to a different team uh, go up dramatically. Um, but in the meantime, I do think it's good that, uh, especially like in the wake of the Killian Hayes, Killian Hayes injury, which we're going to talk about, um, it's been nice to have a another guard able to do what Corey does uh, on the floor. Just be able to a guy who's able to run offense and also play off of Cade Cunningham and as you know been ridiculously hot from three and is able to like push the pace a little bit. Um, it's, it's it's just been nice. It's been nice. It it doesn't feel it feels significantly less ball hoggy when all the shots go in, um, <laughs> but. It is much better than like, you know, if the Pistons had to start Saban Lee or something like that. Like, um, I, I, I've just been very, I've been, I've found myself more appreciative of what Corey Joseph uh, has to offer over the month of January, which is like eleven games deep now, which is which is wild to think about. Uh, the next vet I wanted to talk about was ro- rotation Rodney Rodney Magruder. Uh, since returning from the trade, 
which is again like a weird a weird thing to be in. Uh, he's averaging 16 points a game, four rebounds, and one assist, shooting 60% from the floor, 60% from three, and 50% from the line. I think he's only like uh, like two or four. Um, that's only three games, and he's not going to shoot 60% from three for uh, much longer. But hopefully, Ben, the, the Pistons don't have to attach another second-round pick when they trade him later this month. Yeah, for real. I mean, he's... He's playing even at, you know, like two-thirds of where he's at right now for the rest of the season. Um, You could certainly see somebody looking to add a little bit of shooting to the bench. I mean, he's obviously been around a long time. You know, in the playoffs, he's a guy who's probably not going to make a lot of mistakes. He's not going to win you any games by himself, but he's also not going to make a lot of mistakes. So maybe maybe someone wants to bolster their bench a little bit. Um, maybe, Maybe an injury happens and someone needs to add a little depth all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it would be nice to to put Rodney in a better situation than he's in right now, right? Like trade him into a better situation and also not attach an asset, as you mentioned, because that, you know, ideally not what you want to do if you're you're sending away a vet who's only played a handful of games for you over the course of the season. Well, I guess it's more than a handful now, up to 20, I think, if I'm looking at this correctly. But yeah, I mean, in the meanwhile, though, as he's been on the court for the Pistons, he's been able to stretch the floor a little bit, give us some consistent three-point shooting. I think that helps. I think certainly we've seen that uh, demonstrated in the win-loss record when they're making shots. They can actually win some games, which is fun. Um, so, yeah, it's been good to see Rodney play well. Yeah, you you mentioned uh, something I was going to bring up. Sneakily, he's played a, a larger-than-expected uh, number of games for this team. And, like, between... You know, between injuries and between ineffective play, um, you know, if like if Frank Jackson was healthy right now, I doubt we would see be seeing Rodney Magruder in the rotation. I mean, like maybe we would with Dwayne Casey after the trade. Like you never know. But um, yeah, it's it's been notable that he has been that Rodney has been like relatively productive whenever he's gotten the opportunity to play. I think that that's a thing that uh, other teams definitely notice when when we're thinking about. Um, when we're thinking about like Jeremy Grant trades and we're thinking about, you know, roster spots and, uh, and everything like Chicago, you look at Chicago, their guards are decimated right now. And like Magruder is a guy who could actually legitimately step in and help them like bridge the gap for the six or so eight or so weeks. It's going to take, uh, their, uh, guard rotation to get healthier. Right. If if a Jeremy Grant trade like were to happen, he could be like a legitimately helpful piece for a significant chunk of the regular season, which I think is like meaningful, right? Like that's not that's not nothing. It is. Um, it's nice to have Uncle Rodney around, hundred <laughs> percent. All right, and then the, I guess the uh, the real impetus for for trying to do the veterans this week, Ben, is the return of Kelly Olynyk, followed shortly thereafter by the absence of Kelly Olynyk, as he is not going to play in tonight's game against Denver because he in, is in health and safety protocols. That is no bueno, and we wish Kelly the best. But in uh, in his two games uh, back to the court, we saw kind of like the we saw kind of everything he has to offer the Pistons. He scored uh, twenty two points, had nine rebounds and five assists in the win against Sacramento. Um, the offense was like just really flowing a lot better with him out there on the floor. Um, I know again, like it's it's weird to be like. Uh, what do we what do we expect from Kelly Olynyk because he's not going to be playing for the next seven to ten days plus reconditioning or however the Pistons want to handle his COVID situation. But uh, Ben, how much how nice was it to have Kelly Olynyk back uh, in the rotation? It feels weird to say that it was really nice, but it it was. Um, I mean, I think he personally, I thought he played pretty poorly against Utah. I think Gobert is just an awful matchup for him, and Gobert just kind of chewed him up, but. In Sacramento, um, you know, obviously he was very, very good in the second half. He was a key part of that late comeback uh, over the last couple of minutes of the game. You know, as you mentioned, the way that the, the, the ball moves and the offense flows when he's on the court, I think that's right. Um, I think some of that is particularly attributable to him directly because of the type of player he is, the skill set he brings to the table. I think some of it, too. I still do think that second unit with um, Kojo and Trey Lyles and Kelly Olenek, they, you know, they've got years of chemistry together. So I think that helps too. 
And, you know, not just in terms of wins and losses, but also just in terms of enjoying watching the Pistons play this season. Like, it was very refreshing to see them have such a successful uh, offensive effort against the Kings. They really did play well offensively. The ball was moving. Shots were falling. And I think I think it was pretty clear when when Kelly Olynyk was out there, you know, he was a he was a significant part of why all that was happening. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's great to have him back. He adds obviously a completely different layer of depth to the big man rotation. I think it also helps put Trey Lyles in a better situation uh, at power forward. He was he's just clearly too small to be playing center full time. So. It, it's definitely, you know, if you had talked to me at the beginning of this season and said, hey, here's what's going to happen with Kelly Olenek, yeah, I would have been surprised how much uh, it made a difference in terms of just enjoying watching him play against Sacramento, but it certainly did for me. Yeah. What what surprised me, and you mentioned this against, uh, against Utah, and he didn't have uh, an effective night, um, it's like clearly, like even with the uh, return to conditioning, like days off that he had, um, his legs are not fully there. You can see that when he's uh, attempting threes, right? I think he's mm-hmm. only like two for nine or something like that uh, over the course of the, the last two games he's played. But the scout on him is still there, right? He still is able to like pull centers away from the rim and open up space for the other four guys on the, on the court with him. And um, how just even having the the threat of that spacing ability – uh, makes life easier is just like so apparent even for a guy like uh like a trey lyles right you, you talked about how trey lyles looks much more comfortable at power forward um i like i think that was part of the reason why we saw trey lyles have such a good game against utah right like trey lyles hit three threes for the first time and um you know i i can't remember how long it's been we're gonna we're gonna talk about trey about in a second but i don't want to so i don't want to like go too deep into that but um but yeah it when when Kelly Olenek is out there, he just things seem to flow a lot better. And so Ben, like, of course, the obvious question now is going to become when Kelly is fully when Kelly is fully healthy. Like, should he start? Like, what should the starting lineup be? It's like, who should he? Who should he? Who spot should he replace? And so, I guess, how do you feel about preserving that chemistry that he has off the bench with Corey Joseph and Trey Lyles? versus um, having him and his skill set in the starting lineup to promote uh, development next to the guys who really matter for this team in uh, in like Cade Cunningham and, and Steve Bay. Yeah, I think this is a worthy conversation to have. And fundamentally, that's the frame at which, you know, the frame through which I'd look at it. Um, in particular, what would it do for the development of Cade Cunningham. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think I care a whole lot in terms of, you know, it, does shuffling him and Stewart, right, tra- changing their roles from starting to bench and bench to starter, you know, does that move the needle a, a lot in terms of win losses? Eh, I don't know. I, I'm not inclined to think it's going to matter a ton because I think they're still going to both be playing minutes um, and both doing what they do well. But if it is the case that playing next to a guy with Kelly's skill set enhances and speeds up and in other ways benefits Cade Cunningham's development, then yeah, I'm absolutely, absolutely open to seeing that happen. Um, and then, you know, just as I mentioned, I mean, I, th- I thought Isaiah actually had kind of a nice week. I thought he did some nice things against um, Sacramento himself. He looked mm-hmm. to shoot inside, which I think to his credit, we've criticized him for not even looking for a shot. Uh, he had some nice seals and, and a couple nice moves inside, but, but yeah, I mean, if, if it makes life better for Cade Cunningham, then I think that, is probably the most important thing that Pistons could be thinking about right now. Um, look, as Cade goes, so goes the rebuild. I think. No, definitely. I, I've I've been torn on this, uh, and part of it is because like we we do have to think about like what is best for Cade Cunningham because that is as you mentioned the the main driver of success moving forward for the Pistons. But I do I do also wonder like what a relegation to the bench would mean for Isaiah Stewart, not necessarily in the, uh, in the short term, uh, or not necessarily like in the long term, but in the short term, um, you know, Stewart is a, uh, I like his skill set is as like a, as an energy guy, as a guy who defends the rim uh, really well, despite his height. Um, I think like that is 
a little i think his skill set is like a tiny bit wasted on bench lineups right like you normally bench lineups are less effective offensively and so to have a defense a mainly defensive oriented center against bench lineups like yeah i guess you you're thinking about uh you know crushing teams on defense like during his minutes um but like in a bench set in a bench setup like i'm not sure uh, like that's a that's the best case scenario for him. I do think in the long term, we see Stewart coming off the bench. I think that that that's something that's really been like solidified for me this year is that you know, even if even if Stewart gets better and gets more aggressive and like develops the jump shot to the level we, I think both of us would like to see from from him moving forward, it's going to be really tough for him to play the. It's going to be really tough for him to play as hard as he plays for uh, the minutes load, you would necessarily like associate with a starting center. And we've seen Stewart have uh, troubles with foul trouble over the last couple of weeks. I think that would probably be, that's going to be a concern just moving forward from him. Just again, because of the way he plays, not necessarily because he's doing anything wrong per se, but I, I think of the, he's picked up a bunch of offensive fouls, just, uh, boxing guys out from behind uh, a little bit harder and guys the scout on him is kind of out there so you see guys uh, flopping a little bit or exaggerating contact I'll say not not full-on flopping but uh, you could definitely see like Rudy Gobert uh, cower away from Isaiah Stewart in a way that I felt was uh, unbecoming but like he got the call and that's what ends up mattering and so I, I do wonder about how how Stewart's skill set plays against mostly bench lineups and, and what that does for his development. But at the same time, I do think his in the long term he ends up a bench center. And so like it's a I don't want to put a cap on his ceiling. Uh like I, I don't want to limit Stewart to the the thing I've already kind of relegated him to in my mind. But I I do just find myself like wondering like what what a, a move to the bench means for him as well. Well, and I think too, we're going to talk about the return of Jeremy Grant. So there's, there's likely going to be some necessarily shuffling in the starting lineup anyway. So there might be a, an opportunity from a coaching perspective and a personnel management and, and personality management perspective to maybe shake it up all at once. So I, I think that's a, also potentially just good timing. That's a good point. That's something I hadn't fully considered. I, I'm trying to take things one at a time, take them as they come. Right. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, let's talk about Trey Lyles. Uh, in January, Trey Lyles is averaging 13 points, six and a half rebounds, and almost two assists per game. He's shooting uh, 46% from the floor, 27% from three, and 71% from the line. Um, but the thing that's really helping his production and efficiency numbers is that he's shooting uh, five free throws a game, which is like really helpful in the minutes he's been out uh, out there, especially as a center. Um, for some reason, teams just f- don't know that he pump fakes a lot. And so the, <laughs> right. the pump fake rip through just works on everybody. Um, it's just, yeah. Um, but we, like, I don't know if we've given uh, Trey Lyles enough, uh, enough love for his play uh, as the small ball center for this team for basically the entire month of January. And so I wanted to do that before, uh, before it, he turned back into a power forward pumpkin. <laughs> yeah, I think the the main advantage we've seen that you that you just mentioned, Les, is when he's playing small ball center, uh, he's playing against guys who've never had the responsibility of covering him, right? Like he's mm-hmm. never been a small ball center consistently, at least as, to the extent that I've followed his career anyway. And so I think, yeah, he he lulls some of those big men into making really stupid fouls, uh, and he he's really smart. Like he's he's the savvy veteran who's very good about positioning his body and his arms when he's going to the basket and putting them in harm's way and getting to the free throw line. So, I mean, Cade and Killian, watch Trey Lyles a little bit, right? Because he's become <laughs> very, very good at that. And so, yeah, to to give him the, the credit and kudos he deserves, he'd absolutely stepped up. Um, it's not a job I would want. I mean, small ball center in the NBA, oof, I mean, that's, that's a hard task, right? Um, but, yeah, he's been very, very solid for the Pistons. I think, too, important to say that I think he's – he's been a pretty important contributing factor to the winning that's been happening. Um, his efficient scoring and ability to sort of participate in the, the team rebounding effort and play out of position, all that stuff. He's been a true pro. Uh, he's handled it very well. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, I again, I do think he's better suited to power forward, and so I think I'm happy to see them go there. But at the same time, it would be great to see him continue to get to the line a little bit because that's something again we're just we're not all that good at, uh, and, and he's been surprisingly effective. Yeah, I think of the vets we've talked about, uh, Lyles is a because of the way he's been playing and uh, because of the the skill set he uh, like ostensibly has the ability to stretch the floor. He hasn't shown it this year, but I think it, it's in there for sure. It's like I wonder if he's not the vet that's been that's being moved at the trade deadline, um, just for just because the Pistons have done a really good job rehabilitating his value, right? Um, in much the same way that like Delon Wright last year was given a ton of opportunity and was like very solid and and helped the the cause of winning in ways that were unexpected. Uh, like I, I think Trey Lyles has done a lot of that same stuff. Uh, for the Pistons this year. And that makes me uh, wonder if uh, uh, he's a candidate to be moved as another team sees that. And it's like, Oh, Hey, like we could also use like a veteran who does a little bit of what, uh, of what Trey does. And so I, I, I think about that, but that's not to say I want Trey traded. That's to say that like, actually he's done, he's been so good this year that I would not be surprised if he was traded which is like a big step from where I was before this season. Before the season, I thought we were stuck with him. Now, <laughs> now I think uh, other teams might actually like give you something half decent to take him off of our hands. Yeah, and I mean, when we look at the Jeremy Grant trades, right, we've talked about how it can be challenging to find the right mix of contracts. Trey has a very f- team-friendly contract, uh, you know, not a lot of money and also not They're a lot short. of years and yeah. also I, th- I believe a team option next year. So a very friendly contract for anyone who would be looking to acquire him. Absolutely. All right, Ben, let's let's talk about Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant is actually in COVID protocols uh, as well. So his will be his uh, rehab, I'm sure, is being a, a tiny bit delayed by that. And we obviously hope uh, he recovers as well. Um, but he was recently assigned to the Motor City Cruise as a way, I think, to, to get him like some practice time and stuff. And so that usually portends a return to the floor in the not too distant future. Um, we should see him. We should see him back from the UCL injury shortly. So that that obviously shakes up the starting lineup. Uh, who do you think ends up out of the starting lineup when he returns? And and who do you think I guess should go to the bench when Jeremy Grant returns? Those Got are two it. separate questions. Yeah. So I mean, I, my preference at this point would be Killian, and I would try to combine it with um, if if you're going to do that and you're interested. In, moving Isaiah Stewart to the bench for a little while, I would maybe do that at the same time because I think it could be advantageous for Killian, who I think has struggled to consistently find a jump shot, right? I mean, he started the season shooting the ball really well, particularly from the corner. That has really fallen off. And, you know, obviously we can look at injuries as a potential source of that and whatever. But I think it might be interesting to shift Killian to a more ball handling role in the bench unit. And I think maybe you can do it in a way that it doesn't feel like a demotion, right? I think, you know, Killian, I think some of his best stuff comes when he's dribbling the ball a lot and he doesn't do that much when he's next to Cade Cunningham. And if he's not shooting the ball well, which he isn't, you know, it, it gets hard to find his, his place and his niche in the offense. So maybe you shift Killian uh, to the bench, let him run the point a little bit. If Corey Joseph is still around, maybe you shift Corey a little bit more to the off-ball role because he's a better shooter. And maybe that gives Isaiah Stewart a little bit of a niche in the offense as well because, as you mentioned, um, you know, going against second string can sometimes be a little bit easier. So maybe you can shift that all at once. That would retain Hami in the starting lineup. I feel like Hamadou Diallo has been surprisingly effective. He's not super efficient, but I think the dimension he adds is slashing and attacking the rim. Um, that's a lot of fun. He's no worse a shooter than Killian Hayes has been. Um, so I don't think you're necessarily losing anything if you keep him in the lineup next to Jeremy Grant in terms of shooting, especially if you're adding Kelly Olenek into the mix, right? Because you're giving yourself some space and some stretch from your five position. So that's how I would do it. But I will also say I think I'd be surprised. I think um, you know, my read on it has been you're going to give the two young guards the chance to work it out. And with both of them being in and out of the lineup, maybe you don't feel like you have a good handle on that yet. So you keep them both out there and that shifts Hami back to his bench role. So that's kind of what I'm expecting, even though it's not necessarily what I'd want to see. 
Yeah. So we're we're gonna talk about Killian. I fear you ruined the Killian segment already. Oh, but, no, 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 that's fine. Uh, I do also expect that uh, Hami ends up moving to the bench, but I do wonder if that I do want. I, I do actually wonder if that's for the best, right? Like you, Hami has been better than Killian this year, and Hami has been good enough that you that moving him to the bench does feel like a demotion. Yeah. Right. It it does feel like, um, like, uh, like, like a demotion, like a, like nothing you could have done would be good enough to like get you out of the spot. And like, that is unfortunate. That is not the type of like philosophical thing that I, I'd like want to promote like within the team. And so, uh, like that part is tricky. The, the thing I will say though, is that like, we we've talked about Hami's skill set, his athleticism, his role as kind of like a a slasher, a guy that like has has developed a lot of chemistry with Kate Cunningham on like these these uh these wing cuts to the basket. Um I think we've seen a little bit of the limitations of that over the last couple of games. Um like Hami has taken far more corner threes than I'm like really comfortable with him taking uh like this week as teams have like started to get a little bit wise to uh, some of the stuff he's doing off ball. Um, I th- my hope would be that you can, like if you replace Jeremy Grant with Hamidou Diallo, like in the starting lineup, you have Jeremy Grant doing some of that stuff, right? Like I don't expect uh, Jeremy to only shoot like, you know, the eight times a game that Hami shoots or whatever, but I would hope that Jeremy can, you know, cut to the basket with the, with the similar amount of like force, than than Hamidou Diallo does, right? And we know we know Jeremy Grant's a better shooter, um, and so just to have Jeremy like play with a little bit more of that uh, like off ball uh, passion that that Hami like currently plays with is like I think that would be that'd be good for Jeremy. That would make the transition um, like out of the starting lineup a little bit, uh, or that may, that would make the the change to the starting lineup like a little bit easier to swallow for everybody involved that, you know, we've, we talk a lot about how Jeremy like has kind of bogged down too much into isolation ball this year. Um, If he was, you know, doing more basket cutting and stuff, I think it's like, he would still get to score his points. He would still get to be involved in the offense, but it wouldn't come after, you know, seven dribbles. Right. I think that, I think that is, that'd be big for, for the team. We saw how, stagnant the and stayed the offense looked like when uh when it wasn't entirely you know decided like who was going to get to to do what with the ball at, at, at most of the time and so i hope that we see a little bit more out of that from jeremy when he returns if he replaces hamadou diallo in the starting lineup like we expect um and if he doesn't right if it's like what if it's Cade, so that'd be that would be what Cade, hami sadiq jeremy kelly that would be the starting lineup that's yeah. uh yeah. yeah yeah it's weird <laughs> it is a little weird but like it's it's kind of it's kind of fine um it's enough shooting around Cade which is like the th- or it's yeah it's enough shooting around Cade which is the thing you're like mainly concerned about um taking out Killian and Stewart makes Hami the only like non-shooter on the floor which is uh which is like uh, a good thing I think for for the lineup spacing in the offense I don't think it's like you, you do take out two of the best defensive players. The Pistons have um, like from the starting lineup to the bench. And so I do wonder like what that would do to the defense. Um, you, you Ben have talked a bunch about how Jeremy Grant is not an amazing rebounder. Um, that's a lot of, that's a lot of pressure on Sadiq. That's a lot of pressure on Cade to, to get in there and crash the glass. Um, something that both of those guys have shown an aptitude for, but I don't know, like if, if they have to do it every night, I don't know if that's uh, if, if that's like beneficial to them. But yeah, that's that is a as an interesting lineup and one where you're definitely gonna have to like think about uh, Jeremy Grant's like impact returning to the rotation uh, as as that becomes closer. Yeah, and even beyond like who goes to the bench, I'm I'm not gonna make any predictions here, but I am gonna be watching the extent to which Jeremy's return is disruptive, right? I mean, this is the best stretch in terms of wins and losses uh, that the Pistons have had in a while. And it's been, well, Jeremy Grant's out, right? Um, you know, I'm not saying there's a cause and effect relationship there, but at the same time, you can't deny that that's, that's what's happened. So 
what will Jeremy Grant's return do? That that's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, the it will definitely be disruptive, but like as we know from Silicon Valley, disruptive is not always bad, but most <laughs> of the time it does mean bad. So, and if you're calling yourself disruptive, then it certainly is bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if that's your brand. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I hope there's not too much disruption when Jeremy Grant returns uh, to the Pistons. And, of course, we will be watching the clock until February 10th, the trade deadline, to to see uh, if he's going to be a Piston at least for the remainder of this season. All right, Ben, let's talk about Killian Hayes. So Killian Hayes uh, fell into a cameraman in the first game of the week against Golden State. He has a contusion on the same hip he had an injury with uh, last year obviously you hate to see that um so he has not played the he hasn't played the last two games he didn't play against sacramento he didn't play against utah i have not seen his status uh, for tonight's game against denver um i would be surprised if he played but uh like you know who, who's to say i think he was elevated to questionable against uh against utah but still didn't play um so he hasn't played much this week uh that said, our fearless, our fearless leader, Sean Corp, wrote a, a very great piece on Detroit Bad Boys that I encourage everybody to read uh, called, it was like, Killian is Bad. And it was mostly about how uh, the players who have played as many minutes in the NBA as Killian Hayes has so far and has been and have been um, as unproductive scoring the ball i want to be specific like unproductive scoring the ball as him is the that combination does not portend well for his development for where he's going to end up uh, for the rest of his nba career and so i just wanted to get i wanted to get your thoughts about the piece ben i wanted to get your thoughts about killian hayes i feel like we i've given it like 10 minutes we got far enough away that people might have forgotten where you are on Killian. So what did you think of the piece and what, where do you think of, of Killian so far this season? Well, kudos to Sean, because I think he wrote a very well-reasoned piece and I think he's right. Um, he's right in the, in this, in the sense that Killian Hayes is currently not a net positive player. Um, you know, my take on Killian is he does lots of non-scoring things well, but he doesn't do any of them at like an elite level, which mm-hmm. You know, if you're expecting him to at 20 years old, you're probably having some expectations that are a little out of whack. But at the same time, uh, you know, the question is, how, do, how does a guy like him become a net positive? Um, you know, like I, I think I've thought about a guy, I, you know, I've thought about Rajon Rondo a lot when I've thought about Killian Hayes. And to me, that's because, you know, Rajon, as old as he is now, he still manages to contribute or at least has over the last few seasons to winning basketball teams. But at his best, I mean, he was a really key part of what Boston did in that very, very good Boston team. And he he did it, I think, by doing lots of things that weren't scoring, but he did them really, really well. And he was also in a situation where the fact that he he couldn't and didn't score much didn't matter because you had, you know, obviously three other guys who were, who were doing that. Right. So Killian, by contrast, um, you know, I don't, I don't think he's as good right now as Rajon was as a rookie. So that's, so that's not great. He's not as good of a defender. He's not as good of a playmaker. Um, not, you know, rebounding I don't know, from the point guard position. It's kind of a, a push, right? You're talking, you're splitting hairs at this point. If you're talking rebounding out of that guard spot. Um, but the shooting is dramatically worse, right? So in order for, for Killian to be a net positive, he's got to be really, really good at all those non-scoring things in order to make up for the fact that, you know, his shooting numbers are just absolutely atrocious. And unfortunately, that's what they are. Um, I don't like saying that. I don't take any pleasure in it. We thought maybe he had rounded the corner, right? At the beginning of the season, he was knocking down those corner threes and it looked like it was a thing. Uh, and then that's all fallen off. So, you know, I, I am not ready to throw in the towel on Killian Hayes. Um, I, I think there's some really interesting non-scoring stuff there that has value. But I do think Sean is correct to point out that it's going to be an uphill battle for him to stick in the NBA unless he turns around some part of his offense um, relatively quickly, right? Now, whether that's a consistent corner three, whether that's um, dramatically improving that little floater he has in the lane, 
whether that's getting to the free throw line. I think one of those three things you're going to have to see him change. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe within 12 months, maybe that's a fair timeline. You, you want to see some progress at least as opposed to stagnation because right now the offense, you know, his individual shooting, his individual scoring is really, really poor. And it makes it really, really hard for him to become a, a net player without some significant improvement. That's a that's really well enunciated, Ben. And I also want to start by complimenting Sean and what he was doing with that piece. Um, it was really well written, and uh, I appreciated it. the The place I find myself kind of stuck with Killian is not is not only that he's uh, like a poor shooter right now. It's not only that. Um, he doesn't put the ball in the basket. It's that, and I think this is the thing that other people have picked up on and uh, are not, uh, are like very uh, negative about, is that he looks tentative, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's that he's not necessarily like, even as a, it's like you, you have, he hasn't quite discovered the fact that like you have to leverage your ability to score in the NBA to play make and like not the other way around. And so, you know, a couple dribbles and then a kickback to to K to reset or like to Sadiq to to reset the play is like not going to get it done. Instead of you know continue continuing to explore what you can and can't accomplish offensively, um, I don't think it's like I think there's still only one game in his career where he's made more than five field goals um which is which is like still kind of astonishing even though like yeah i know he like he hasn't hit 60 games yet like let's he's still still kind of a rookie but like still you know he's not even looking to score the ball a lot of the time and i think that's very frustrating for a lot of people um but on the other hand i do think we because we have a better like statistical grasp of offense uh, and like his his negatives on that front, I do think his like hand we tend to hand wave like what he's able to accomplish on the defensive end at twenty, like that is like that is really impressive. The his fearlessness, his ability and confidence in like switching on the larger guys, his really quick hands creates a lot of steals. Plays like because he reads the, the floor so well, he's able to play passing lanes and stuff. Is he's. He's one of the best perimeter defenders on the Pistons right now. And I think that, you know, if you if you remove him like from the equation, we've seen how like that has knock on effects on the the rest of the team, right? Cade Cunningham was in foul trouble perpetually against Sacramento because he was forced to cover De'Aaron Fox and the suddenly hot Terrence Davis uh for, for most of the game. And so uh, is like not not having to do that and having to you know having the ability to have somebody else in the backcourt who can take that pressure off of Cade I think is a good thing for Cade's development um, but something that you know kind of gets you know handwoven because Killian won't shoot and doesn't make shots um, no no good well I was going to say the other thing that uh, I want to revisit is this issue of starting lineup versus bench and to me it's not about fundamentally starter or non-starter it's fundamentally about role so, like, if you look at Killian's assists and turnover numbers from a year ago versus now, like, he was pushing a 30% assist rate as a 19-year-old rookie point guard a season ago. That's not nothing. <laughs> I mean, that that's pretty significant. His role has dramatically changed. He has the ball in his hands significantly less. And so that one real bright spot that we saw a lot of, his vision, his passing, his playmaking, has mostly been taken from him just because he's now the off guard and Cade Cunningham is, is the point guard, right? So this would be, again, one more reason, in my opinion, where you might want to consider moving him to the second unit strictly because, um, you know, I think Killian understands and has confidence in his ability to see the floor and make the right pass. Mm -hmm. And right now he just doesn't have the chance to do that. Um, So for me, that would be one more, you know, one more reason to think maybe we just need to change up the role a little bit. Maybe we can reset some of that confidence and and take a little pressure off the shot, which right now, I mean, that's fundamentally what is what he's responsible for, right? Like Cade is initiating the offense or Sadiq is initiating the offense and Killian's kind of standing in the corner for for the kick out or maybe a secondary attack off the dribble or something. And I'm I'm just not sure that's really 
what his skill is is suited for. Yeah, it's it's a it's a new role for him, uh, devised not like on the fly, but it's not the role that was like expected of him like when he was drafted, and but at the same time, it's totally understandable that that is going to have to be his role for as long as Cade is on the team because Cade's so much better than he is, right? right? Um, yes, yeah, so like yeah, that's that's a good point. I do, I do think that um, again, like with the rumors that we've seen that the Pistons are interested in other point guards at this point, I want to shout out uh, Nicholas Henkel, who was on the NBA Ringer podcast with Kevin O'Connell, and uh, mentioned that the Pistons might be interested in Jalen Brunson, uh, a guy who I, I know for a fact the Pistons were interested in um in his draft year um don't remember if they had the i think i think uh that was like the Kyrie thomas bruce brown year and um like bruce i think jalen like went before Kyrie, um and so like and so they didn't have a chance to get him but they were very interested in him um and have been like watching his development very closely um and, he, and we also got a report a couple weeks back that he is looking like an excess for a contract in excess of like $20 million a year. And if like if the Pistons do end up pursuing him and they pay that guy $20 million a year, like he's not coming off the bench, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so at that point, you're you're looking at a, a another, you're looking at Killian coming off the bench and, and it's like, that's a role change. And it's like, maybe that does, it's like maybe that's the knock-on effect, right? Like the, uh, maybe, so maybe it's best to get him started and prepared for that role, like moving forward, uh, like right now. But like that's you know there are going to be other teams who want Jalen Brunson. There aren't actually that many good point guards on the free agency market this year. I've checked, mm-hmm. um, and but like that is that is to say that I, I agree with you, Ben, that a move to the bench for Killian probably would enable him to do a little bit more of the things that make him uh, that made him special as a draft prospect and that we'd like to see him do uh, at the NBA level. But like with that said, it's like, if he's not going to be next to Cade Cunningham, if he's going to be like a a bench guard in your rotation on a Cade Cunningham team is like, I was like, at that point you might need to start looking to explore like other things. Right. Mm -hmm. And you also have to start considering what, like if if Killian's not it because of the offensive limitations, like what kind of guard do you want to put next to Cade Cunningham? Because it again, like it does feel like the the defensive capabilities and the additional playmaking uh, burden has been uh, it, those are nice things to be able to take off of Cade, right? It's really nice to not have Cade have to guard the other team's best guard every single night. That's a that's a really rough burden for even a player as talented as Cade. And like that's not something I really, like, really want him doing, right? And so, if it's not going to be Killian, like, what other kind of point guard is it be? Is it is it going to be? Um, like, I don't think it's going to be Saban Lee. Sorry, Saban Lee truthers. Like, I, I don't think that's the <laughs> that, that's not the role line vision for Saban. But uh, but yeah, Killian's in a, a really precarious spot right now. And I will say the last thing I'll say is that the injuries, like definitely aren't helping any of this evaluation right i believe uh like a couple a couple of the pistons beat guys like rod and omari put out stories about killian over the last week and i think rod mentioned in his story that killian has yet to play 10 consecutive games uh, as an nba player jeez yeah which is just ridiculous but but you know in this year it hasn't been you know last year it was the one big thing uh with the, with the hip injury this year it's been a variety of like little nicks and bruises right the the hand uh, he had a concussion it, now it's the hip right and so it's like the it's like we're we're still kind of waiting to see like what we can get uh from Killian Hayes as he develops like moving forward but you know at the end of the day like they they picked him at the top of the draft he's still only he's still like uh you know under 21 years old it's way too early to give up on him, but it's not too early to start asking questions about like what his future is going to be like for, for this Pistons team. Yeah. And it, like, you just, you can't, you can't ignore the fact that the Pistons getting the number one pick in the draft and taking Chaden 
uh, Cade Cunningham totally changed the equation for everyone else on the roster, right? Like if you know, if you, if you're somehow a soothsayer and you know, you're going to get the number one pick and take Cade, you don't take Killian, right? Because there's just too much overlap in positionality and skill set, et cetera. So yeah, I, mean, I think it's also fair to say, I a hundred percent agree with you. It's way too soon to give up on um, Killian. I think there is, there are legitimate NBA talents and skill sets that are already very solid at 20 years old, which is something that, that, that matters. Um, but if he doesn't, if he doesn't fit with Cade and so far it doesn't look like he does, um, there's also potential, um, you know, there's reason to think that maybe he's also somewhat of a trade sweetener as well, because I mean, there are lots of teams who value the types of things that Killian can do and might have better positions for him, um, to develop a little more slowly offensively. No, absolutely. Um, you, you think about like what the, what his role might be on a different team, right? If, um, if he had been drafted by uh, a team with a better like pick and roll, like lob threat, like this, the same things that impact Cade impact Killian, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and because Killian is a much worse player, it's like, he probably needs those things to surround him a lot more than Cade actually does. And so it's like, you, you think about what his career might look like. Had he, you know, been in a more pick and roll heavy system with, uh, you know, players more conducive to running that system. And, you know, maybe things would be different. Maybe they wouldn't. You know, who, that's a you know hypothetical, but at the same time, like it's it's where we are. Yeah, I do I do think about the the sliding doors reality where the Pistons draft Evan Mobley, and like we're all like just loving the the Killian Evan Mobley like pick and roll. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that that universe is interesting to me, but that's not the one we live in, so I can't I can't okay. stay there forever. Yeah. All right, Ben. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a good week. What's your what's your positive thing for the Pistons this week? Oh, that's right. I got it. No, I'm just kidding. I've been, I've been thinking about this. Um, you know, so the, the win against Sacramento was obviously a good thing, but I don't know. I really, really liked what Cade Cunningham did in the first half against Utah. Um, I think they tightened the screws on him a little bit in the second half and, and didn't let him do as much of the things that he wanted to do. But the, the thing in particular that I liked about Cade against Utah was his what appeared to me anyway, to be attack first and, and don't settle sort of mentality. Uh, I thought he had some really creative finishes inside. I thought he was very aggressive. Um, you know, his numbers the last few weeks have been a bit up and down, especially offensive efficiency. But man, I really liked what I saw from Cade Cunningham against Utah, particularly in the first half. Um, and, and maybe, maybe just generally he's settling less for the bailout three. I mean, he still had a couple of them this week that were, were kind of ugly actually, but I don't know, man, I like Cade Cunningham when he's attacking a whole lot and that's what he was doing against Utah. I think that that first half against Utah might be my like favorite half of basketball that Cade has played mm. uh, so far this year. Yeah, interesting. That was, that was everything on display, right? He was, uh, that was, all three levels of scoring, right? Like he had, he had a three, he hit a couple mid rangers, and he was willing to attack the basket, right? We we saw the playmaking, we saw his ability to like scrap and, and uh, attack the glass. He even had like a, I think he had like a steal or two in the first half as well. Like that was that was literally like the full Cade Cunningham experience. I totally agree with you, Ben. That was that was a, a uh, superb half of basketball. Well, we Cunningham. talked about the mid ranger last week, didn't we, Laz? And we did. We did. He had, a, yeah. he had a couple of them, and they looked they looked pure too. I thought. I mean, I thought they looked really, really solid and natural. Yeah. The, the problem was in the second half. I felt like he, he settled a little bit for those mid rangers, and they didn't go in, mm-hmm. and and things got a little dicey. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the the power and the peril of the the, the mid range shot. But uh, but yeah, that was that was a, a great. Let's focus on the first half. That was a mm-hmm. great first yeah, half of we'll basketball. Take it. All right, Ben, the schedule, the Pistons, of course, play uh, in Denver tonight, uh, approximately two hours from now. They fly back home and play Denver again on Tuesday, which is weird. They go to Orlando on Friday. So that's a th- like a two full days off of uh, of uh, of games. That's kind of rare. Um, so they play in Orlando on Friday. Uh, that would be, the, of course, the tank off game. You can't wait for that. And then they play Cleveland at home on Sunday. The Pistons are 6-6 six and six this month, Ben. 
Can they win two games in the next seven days and go 500 for the whole month of January? <laughs> Man, it seems like they maybe could, right? I mean, I'm anxious to watch Denver. I haven't watched them other than the highlights, so I love watching. I love watching guys who are in the NBA uh, MVP conversation. I think Jokic is healthy, right? I don't think he's out. He is healthy. He will play. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. I, look, I I don't like either one of those matchups against Denver even with Denver traveling to us on the second leg of that. So maybe that's an 0-2. Um, in, a, in a perfect tank world, you lose to Orlando, right? Because you want to have – you want them to have the tiebreaker, I guess, if it comes to that, <laughs> which is awful to say. But, man, Orlando is rough. So I don't know. I, and I kind of like the idea of going 500 for a month. Like, that that feels like some progress. So – that's what I'm going to hope for, Laz. I'm going to I'm going to cheer against the tank, and I'm going to I'm going to hope for some uh, 500 basketball, even if it's super cherry picked. I'll take it. <laughs> I am also going to hope for 500 basketball. I don't think they take one of those Denver matchups. Um, the Cavaliers have the Cavaliers have been really good this year, but they've just been uh, like really banged up. Uh, I believe like Laurie Markkinen got hurt last night. Obviously, Ricky Rubio tore his ACL. Mm. Colin Sexton before that. Um, it's uh, like Isaac Okoro has been in and out of the lineup. They've they've been through a lot uh, this season. Evan Mobley had the elbow thing, um, and so. Uh, it, but they're still pretty. They're they're a really good team when they're able to play both of Garland and all three of Garland, Mobley, and Allen. And so I I would like to get that win. I, I we're still smarting from. Uh, if you remember the last time those two teams played the that was the game like Killian had like six steals but the Cavs won by like 40 remember that <laughs> so I was like it'd, it'd be nice to be able to get them back uh for that one but uh but yeah it's gonna be it's it's gonna be tight to to finish the month uh at, at 500 um uh, the other thing I'll say like don't don't worry about Orlando Orlando's literally the worst team in the NBA the Pistons are the second worst team in the NBA by record and the Pistons are I think they're three games behind the Rockets. The Rockets have 14 wins and the Pistons have 11 wins if I'm remembering correctly. And so it's like and the again the worst three teams all yeah. basically share yeah. lottery odds. Yeah, you're And right. so it's like, yeah, we can be we can beat Orlando. It's fine. Can't can't get too close to Houston. We can beat Orlando. It's totally cool. All right, Ben. This has been this has been a good podcast, man. We we've, we've done a little bit of everything this week. Uh, let people know where they can find you, uh, where they can find what you've been working on. Yeah, well, uh, tried to hop into the comments a little bit this week at Detroit Bad Boys. There was some interesting conversation uh, on the Killian Hayes piece, and uh, I, I tried to jump into the fray and kind of explain, you know, as someone who creates content, you know, what is it like to to hop into the context and, and uh, the comments and debate with people and. I mean, I just kind of shared some of the stuff I've not shared before, which is to say, you know, I, um, w- whenever you create content about any topic, it's just totally natural to get, you know, emotionally and personally invested in the points that you're making because you, you invested time, you invested research, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I, I found, especially in my, my, I'm in my late thirties now, but especially in my twenties and early thirties, I just found myself, um, coming across really poorly and presenting, um, you know, presenting a side of me that in real life never, never exists. And then, you know, I kind of, kind of snippy and rude sometimes. And so, uh, you know, to folks who were part of that conversation this week, thanks for, thanks for taking part in it. I appreciate it. So always in the comments, I always read the comments, especially on the podcast posts. I like to hear feedback and I like to hear people respond and, and present counterpoints to things we're saying on the pod. And then of course, also Twitter at BR Golker. Um, not so active this week, Laz, with these late, late nights, man. My old man eyes just weren't able to stay awake. But uh, Twitter is always a good place as well. I, I did have to DVR the Utah game. <laughs> and, and don't feel bad, Ben. The internet makes assholes of us all. <laughs> it's true. Uh, of course, uh, if you want to follow me and watch me be an asshole, I guess you can. You can do that on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you all next week. See ya.